Anyways, what else do we need? We need a couple glasses, a couple things of ice, a couple shakers. We're gonna start off with a uh, gin fizz, which is gonna be some gin as the base, liquor, club soda, lemon juice, simple syrup, and egg white. I know you guys can't see this at home, but that was the most intense shaking I've ever seen. Now I would say with this drink, I can really taste the gin, so this is one pick of a gin you're, you like. Hey guys, that's my good friend Bill Sullivan, former captain, United States Marine Corps, and a hobby mixologist. And along with Anthony D'Agostino, the director of the Raleigh Bartending School, and that's when it's a business and it's not just a bartender anymore. We are talking mixology. Hey guys, welcome to Make It A Double. This is the podcast that talks booze, spirits, history, mixology, and the people and stories that make it great. I'm Mike Stojic, and in this episode, we will discuss mixology. I've titled the episode Mixology Part 1, since there are so many facets to crafting fine cocktails that rates multiple parts. In future episodes, I'll pick up the tab on other interesting sides, but for now, in this episode, we focus on mixing drinks as a hobbyist and a pro. A good friend of mine, Bill Sullivan, joins the show and mixes up a few drinks as we discuss mixology at home. Then Anthony D'Agnostino, the director of the Raleigh Bartending School, comes online to talk what it takes to be a great bartender. But that's not all. We'll also answer the question why James Bond liked his martini shaken and not stirred. We're going to get started, so grab your favorite cocktail, sit on back, and please enjoy the show. Bill is a bit of an amateur mixologist. I don't know if we can call you an amateur anymore. You made some pretty pro-level drinks, so I'm not going to say amateur. We'll say hobby mixologist. Ah, there we go. Is that a good way to... That's probably a good way to describe it. All right, hobby mixologist it is. So, Bill, what do we got here? So, uh, we have um, actually, I guess, three gin-based drinks and then a whiskey base drink uh we use bourbon and then uh we've got the uh the moscow mule i guess we have a gin fizz a gin ricky and those are both very simple um some club soda gin a few other ingredients uh, lime and simple syrup or uh, the gin fizz lemon and simple syrup and then uh, egg white in the uh, gin fizz which creates that nice foam on top and then uh we have a ginger I'm sorry, not a ginger smash, a whiskey smash, which is the bourbon drink, has some mint leaves and uh, muddled some lemon in there, simple syrup, and then just the whiskey is the base liqueur. And then this other drink I can't remember. I just kind of went off a, a picture on my phone from when I made it before, but it's <laughs> uh, gin, cucumber, muddled cucumber, mint, and uh, simple syrup, and then uh, added let's, it. Let's create a name for it. I'm what? sure there's a real name. Yeah, and then no, we had a ginger beer but, but you went off of a picture, so I think this is like a Bill Sullivan original. I think we should <laughs> I think it should be named. 
even if it's close to whatever <laughs> whatever you were trying to create, we need a, we need a new name for it. What are we going to call it? What oh, are, you want to name it first? Yeah, let's name it right. Let's name it right now before okay, we well. do anything. So the pressure's on. We need we have five seconds. Well, if we taste it, maybe that'll tell. Oh, us let's taste it. Well, yeah, what the name should for be. sure. Oh wow! Yeah, so that's really. After I was, I was not ready for that flavor. That's that's really good. So after I I mixed it, um, the uh, we added ginger beer to it, and ginger beer is nice. It it has a bit of a spicy uh, flavor to it, but it's still a pretty crisp drink with the gin and the cucumber and the mint. I kind of got smashed in the face when I first took a sip of it, so I kind of think smash should be in there. <laughs> The well, Sullivan we, Smash. We call it the Stojic Smash, although that's, uh, that's a already, reference to... That's, yeah, that's a reference to something completely different, which got me in a little bit of trouble. So, <laughs> <laughs> so why don't, let's call it the Sullivan Smash. Sullivan Smash, okay. The Sullivan Smash. So, Bill, like I mentioned earlier, you're not an amateur. You make some really great drinks and without any formal training. So how did you come about learning and improving the, uh, your craft? So I got into it... Uh, almost a year ago actually and I began with uh, I had a pretty good liquor uh, cabinet I like going out and buying especially local brands of stuff and different brands are trying different things so I had several different um, bourbons rise I was trying to get into more gin gin drinks and classic cocktails uh, vodka based cocktails and uh, I just started looking stuff online that was kind of my intro to it um, so liquor.com is a great site. They have a whole wide range of recipes and you just find the, uh, the base liquor you want or the type of cocktail you want. You know, if you want a classic margarita or different types mm-hmm. of margarita recipes or, uh, martini recipes, they'll have them on there and then, um, go out and buy the ingredients. Uh, like I say, I try to, uh, I like ones that are citrus based, uh, a lot of cocktails that have either lemon, lime juice in it. Um, and so I'll, just go on the website and search for stuff and try to find recipes that I already have a lot of the uh, alcohol on, on hand so I'm not going out and having to buy, you know, spend another 50, 100 bucks on, on right. new booze. And then uh, I just started ma- making it in my house. I had the liquor. Uh, I went out and bought the, the other ingredient ingredients and then it's just all about playing around with different tastes and different flavors and, you know, you can make the same cocktail over and over again until you get something that you really like. Which, but really... I guess sets you as now you're getting into cocktail making is going to the liquor store and buying the the weird liqueurs and the the kind of more specialty stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I just bought a bottle; it's very expensive of uh, green chartreuse, but it's it's used in a lot of stuff and it tastes pretty good on its own. So you'll you'll start to get kind of into different aisles of the liquor store when you're when you shift to kind of more cocktail making. Uh, obviously, a lot of fresh ingredients: uh, lime, lemon. Um, I've I've made ginger syrup, rhubarb syrup, um, honey syrup apple cider syrup which is just kind of taking those those ingredients and boiling them in in sugar and water to make it that thicker syrup substance but it's good to add and add that flavor so through online research and and reading uh, cocktail books and then i would say a big thing that i learned about actually the craft of cocktail making or why certain things are done is i'll go to a cocktail bar and i'll just talk start talking to the bartender so and and they'll Mm -hmm. usually be very helpful i've always found really good bartenders are always extremely helpful yeah (laughs) they're always happy to talk about their craft their craft because it really is a a craft it's not a science it's guys out there creating something really interesting and unique and some of those guys put some really cool spins on it with Mm -hmm. the the way they're making drinks so they're not following recipes either they're kind of making their own and which is more or less what you did here with the Sullivan smash <laughs> <laughs> created, created more or less your own. 
So what do you say, Bill? Let's go ahead and get a drink started. What are we What are we starting with? So let's start off. We're going to start off with a uh, gin fizz, which is going to be some gin as the base liquor, club soda, lemon juice, simple syrup, and egg white. Egg white. That's pretty. That's different. Yeah. So the reason you'll use egg white is it adds a nice frothy foam to the to the drink. So you use it in like a classic amaretto sour. I like to use an egg white, and it gives that little foam at the top of it that sits on the top of the drink and it just it, it makes it look cool for one <laughs> i mean part, uh, well one of the reasons i really like getting into making uh, cocktails and mixology is uh, not just good tasting drinks and and the, the process of making it but you also got these really cool looking drinks and you can have fun with the presentation i got our two glasses we're gonna fill it with it says an ounce of club soda i'll probably put a little more than that in there uh, I, right, right now, I'm, I'm, I just did an ounce of um, lemon juice and two ounces of uh, Plymouth gin. So I've got the lemon juice and the gin in the, in the shaker. I've got the club soda in the glass directly. Now I'm going to take um, the simple syrup and add two-thirds of an ounce. Or I'm sorry, three-fourths of an ounce, 75.75 ounces to... Yeah, I think that's the other thing, too, when you start talking about an art or a craft, it's not a science. So not having the perfect measurements, I think, in a lot of ways is going to make you better. And in a lot of ways, it can make the drink better because you're able to kind of fine-tune things based off of the things, that, the taste that you want to really pull from instead of using someone else's recipe. So, uh, Yeah, you definitely can play around with the pork. Uh, proportions and, and the ingredients a little bit and try to find something. At the end of the day, it's just like any, uh, you know, going out and buying a bottle of something. It doesn't, shouldn't matter what the cost is or where it's made or how it's made. If, if, it, if you like the taste and, and it's something that you enjoy drinking, that, that should be what's important. Now, this is the fun part. This part I like is the, the egg, we're going to add the egg white. There are sometimes you'll actually use the yolk too, but that's more rare. Okay, so it'll give it that nice, Frothy. Are you not afraid? Like, is anyone ever afraid? Are you not afraid of picking up salmonella? Yeah, I, from raw eggs. I had a question about that. How do you use it and not get sick? And uh, a friend told me most of that stuff's on the the egg shell. It's not in the yolk, or not the yolk, not in the egg white. I've never had an issue with it. I've been doing it for a while, and I see, uh, I guess, uh, bartenders do the same, use the same process when I've gotten cocktails that have the egg white in it so that'd actually be a good question for a biologist i guess on what could be done or you know good ways to prevent that eggshells act as hermetic seals that guard against bacteria entering but this seal can be broken through improper handling or if laid by unhealthy chickens according to the cdc salmonella can enter an egg either through pores in the shell or during development by an infected hen Luckily, the bacteria count in most eggs laid by previously infected hens falls well short of the threshold for causing illness. I know you guys can't see this at home, but that was the most intense shaking I've ever seen. Why is it important to shake the the shaker that much? That, well, that level of intensity. Um. For this one, I mean, really, it's the egg white. You want to really create that frothy. I mean, you can you can oh, see we can it. Definitely see it um, for this drink. But 
Yeah, especially if you're gonna have something like egg white, you want to shake it real thoroughly to get that nice, that nice frothy effect. Yeah. Otherwise, just you know, mixing the ingredients and different things. Like if I if I'm muddling fresh fruits or berries, I'm gonna give it a good shake to really get all that all mixed in. You know, obviously, if you're not using uh, any citruses, if it's just uh, you know your base liquor and then some liqueurs in there, you might just stir it so you don't need a lot of uh, you know shaking sure. to mix up the ingredients. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> the one thing I, I, I like about um, these type of drinks being here in North Carolina, it's obviously incredibly hot out. All the, especially gin and vodka based drinks with the, the cucumber or the mint are very refreshing. I think they're good for summer. Fall time, I'll, I'll do stuff with apple cider. That's kind of a good theme. You'll do some hot, uh, hot drinks too, coffee yeah. based ones. Um, and then of course winter, the big ones are eggnog punch. But I mean, when you think of you know, making an eggnog drink, it's not going to the grocery store necessarily and just buying a carton of eggnog and adding brandy or something to it. There's a lot of good recipes out there where you make your own eggnog, and right. I think that can be pretty rewarding and, and, you know, taste a lot better too. I've never really known anyone to go to this this level of bartending, hobby bartending or hobby mixology like you have. You've really taken it to the next level. And that's, you, you look like a pro bartender. So what So what really got you into this? And I mean, I guess in some way I've been interested for a long time. I've, I've kind of been building up my bar and, and stocking it with different stuff. But I, I, it was really last summer. Saw an interesting recipe for a twist on them. It was actually called a prescription julep. So it's, uh, I think, cognac instead of uh, bourbon. But it was, it was just a recipe I saw on, uh, I think, on TV and decided to try it for myself and then just started playing around with different, you know, kind of the classic cocktails and then exploring stuff I could find online. And I just really enjoyed the the kind of the, the craft side of it and, and mixing different things and trying different th- things. And, um, you know, you get rewarded at the end of it with a hopefully a really good drink. So um, it's it's definitely a hobby that you get an immediate immediate reward for your efforts and, and hopefully a good one. And uh, and then once I started, I just couldn't stop and just wanted to keep going and trying <laughs> different things. And, and I'm always looking for, for different recipes and then especially going out and finding more and more obscure or harder to get uh, liqueurs or uh, things to mix with it. Has that been a challenge going out and, and finding some of these? Because I know a lot of drinks that were really popular in maybe the 20s and 30s and 40s were made with some interesting ingredients that really don't exist. And I'm not talking like f- different types of citrus that didn't ex- that don't <laughs> exist now. I'm talking about maybe like the different syrups uh, or those sort of different additives that you would put into cocktails don't really exist because the popular drinks then are no longer popular now. So when you want to go back and recreate some of these drinks and you can't find some of the ingredients... What what do you do? I do try to just keep within the range of what I have. I'll I'll go out and find stuff. Most most of the bottles I can find, and, and a lot of them are liqueurs or uh, aperitifs, uh, digestifs from uh, France. So I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that's I guess the difficulty is is not only finding it, but then also do you want to commit to buying a full bottle of something for one drink? And if you don't like it, now you have this full bottle of of something. And what else <laughs> do you use it for? So I try to find a, a range of recipes that. I could try out the drink. I actually did that with a, a drink called, uh, well, the brand is Saint Germain, but you can find uh, other brands. It's a, a elderflower liqueur, and it's it is very good. It's used in uh, a bunch of different stuff, but that was one that I really found four or five recipes before I bought it. Hmm. Um, and especially if you can find it, it that works in a you know a tequila based recipe, a gin based recipe, a vodka based recipe, so you can try different th- things and especially entertaining people. I've gone to now uh, gatherings where you know, you, you, I'll bring gin, 
or usually the, the host has gin, vodka, tequila, all the kind of the basics. So I bring all the additional stuff that's harder right. to find and, and then, uh, um, I'll just start mixing drinks. So, you know, I think it's got to make your, the parties and get togethers even more interesting because you're standing around mixing these cool drinks and telling awesome stories. Yeah. And there, you know, there's certainly that fun trivia aspect to it because you do. So why, you know, we were, we were talking earlier, uh, offline about how the, um, why James Bond wanted it shaken, not stirred. So it's kind of the random trivia like that, that comes up while you're right. making this stuff. And then, yeah, I mean, it's. It's kind of a show. People are impressed because uh, it it does take a while, I guess, to to not look too clumsy while you're making making these. That's what that is probably the biggest challenge is some of those more random or harder to find uh, liqueurs or drinks, and and a lot of them are European based, and and tracking them down can be difficult, especially depending on what state you're in. Um, if they have uh, you know a liquor store that'll that's private and they'll order whatever you want. You know, or if you have here in North Carolina, we have the ABC store, so they have a lot of great local, um, local distilled drink or uh, liquors like uh, rum or whiskey or the the moonshine. Um, and you can find a decent selection of everything else, but it's a lot harder than uh, you know when I was in Indiana. Private liquor stores, uh, and some of them were were just known for having obscure stuff, and you could go in there and find some really good bottles. The other thing I would say that is difficult um, is with the different um, fruits or vegetables or berries you're using. You know, some stuff you can find almost year-round, like the cucumber you can find year-round and kind of Mm -hmm. mint leaves. But there's other stuff that really has to be in season. Um, Rhubarb was one that I had two drinks at. One one required a rhubarb syrup. The other one you actually muddled the rhubarb and, and garnished it with a rhubarb spear. And I had to wait till the summer before it came into season, so... There's definitely um, a seasonal aspect to this stuff. Finding it to make the cocktail you want can be can be difficult. All right, Bill. So before I let you go, just let us know where do you like to look for all your different recipes. I, I found a good way is just going on Pinterest, and you know, if you want to make a margarita, you type in margarita, and you'll get a lot of cool recipes that aren't not just pure margaritas, but different flavored ones and different ways of making them and different twists on it. Um, I use uh, Liquor.com as a website a lot for. Uh, my recipes. I've bought cocktail books at uh, Barnes and Noble, and you know, or ordered off Amazon. So there's there's some good you know resources out there, especially the internet, just googling stuff and finding out different recipes. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we will be hearing from Anthony D'Agostino. The bar is your business now. The owner hired you. And you work for this guy, but at the same time, it's your own small little business now. And if you treat it that way, then, and you network that way, then you'll make a lot of money. He's the director of the Raleigh Bartending School in Raleigh, North Carolina. We're going to talk what it takes to be a great bartender and maybe just figure out why. Bond. James Bond. Enjoyed his martinis the way he did. Can I do something for you, Mr. Bond? Uh, just a drink. A martini, shaken, not stirred. So stick around, we will be right back. Bye, 
guys, let me tell you about my friend Malia Christie. She creates some incredible works of art. She's very talented. Just like the great street artist Banksy said, art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable, and that is what Malia sets out to do with Shaded and Faded. Shaded and Faded is unique. It's original. It all comes from the creative mind of Malia Christie. She specializes in figure, abstract, mixed-media canvas painting, and custom furniture creations. Check her out on Facebook. Search Shaded and Faded. While you're checking out Shaded and Faded, why not listen to Wait What If? Wait What If is a podcast hosted by another friend of mine, Kevin Sullivan. If you're interested in far out there things that make you stop and think, huh, wait, what if? Then check out Kevin's podcast, Wait What If, on iTunes, Stitcher, or streaming from podbean.com. He explores things like what happens to the soul if you're teleported, observational reality, the Fermi paradox, and are ghosts real just to name a few? Check them out on Facebook. It's Wait What If. Hi, I'm Anthony D'Agostino, the director of Raleigh's Bar Tennis School. I started off years ago as a server, actually. And uh, for me, I had a lot of fun just waiting tables, meeting people. Uh, I made really good money doing it. But what I didn't like, quite honestly, was giving some of my tip money to the bartenders, you know, because uh, when you work at a restaurant, you have to do tip out. So the bus boy, this person, that person, and it, got, it got crazy. So I was just thinking at the end of the night, I had like a third of what I made. And I was thinking, well, there's got to be a better way. So I got to be really good friends with the bartender where I was working at the time. And he was a really cool guy. We had a lot of fun. So uh, he told me bartending school is the way to go. And that's how he got started. I had never even heard of bartending school. And strangely enough, after he told me that, after that, I was drive, I used to drive back and forth from Winston-Salem to Greensboro. That's where I'm from. I started seeing a billboard for bartending school after he already told me about it, which no was kind of weird. I never heard of it before in my life. All of a sudden, I'm seeing advertisements. And <laughs> like, What's going on? So I decided to go to bartending school, and that's how I got started. Basically, uh, right after that, I started working off at a restaurant. It was a family restaurant slash bar. Probably the most fun I ever had uh, as a bartender. Made lots of money. Right. And we we would have people come in there. We we could fit 150 people just at the bar. Forget the restaurant. The, the the restaurant on top of it was was something else. But then we'd have it full of people, and we'd have everybody singing at the same time. But we would have fun. Yeah, we're spinning around each other. I mean, it was like almost choreographed. After that. What I did was I actually went into sales. I got away from bartending stuff altogether mm-hmm. and went into sales. And then I'm, I had moved to a total different city, came back, and answered a, an ad in the paper for an instructor position at the at a bartending school. So I thought it'd be something to just kind of tie me over until I find something real. Uh, but then I got into this position. and you know I know you're the director of the bartending school, but you ever go back and bartend for fun? Build ten bar, but it's usually for private events. I, I and I do consultation work, so there have been times when I'll go into bars, kind of like what Bar Rescue does. Yep, I'll go in, I'll find problems that they're having, and usually because they're saying, you know, they feel like they're losing money. The bartenders, they don't know what's going on. Right. So I'll go in there, and, and the bartenders will talk about how they're not making much money tip wise. So I'll go in to f- uh, figure out what the situation might be. So I'll, I'll sh- bartend for a shift alongside them just to kind of see where things might be. And then I'll point out the issues that either, you know, bartenders are having uh, or the bar managers are having. Hmm. So, you know, I've done a lot of that kind of stuff on the side too. So what do you find are some of the more significant issues? Yeah, it's, well, because the thing is, is that when 
you know, people want to come in here and learn mm-hmm. how to do this. You can't teach personality. <laughs> All true. you can do is teach, you know, skill. So when you go to these bars and you're doing a shift with these bartenders and they're wondering why they're making 50 bucks and I'm walking out of there with 250 bucks, it's just, it's, you got to look them in the eye and say, hey, man. <laughs> Some people aren't cut out for this sort That's of work, right. man. I mean, it really is a big social endeavor. That's was one of my favorite things about bartending is, is how social it is. And, you know, if you have a guy with a good personality and a lot of knowledge, He's probably going to make a quite a bit more money than the guy who just knows how to pull a Bud Light out of the freezer. <laughs> Most definitely. You don't even have to necessarily be an extrovert to be a good bartender. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, you do have to like people. <laughs> I mean, that's the bottom line. Anybody can make a drink. Mm-hmm. Anybody can pour a beer. Anybody can make an apple martini. But not everybody can be a good bartender. And so what really makes a good bartender is knowing how to at least interact with people how to at least get people to talk. You don't have to necessarily be the center of attention. And there's some bartenders on the opposite side that annoy the crap out of me because that's how they are. <laughs> they're just over the top, you yeah. know, and they, they're the flipping the bottles or doing all these weird, crazy, obnoxious things. And it's like, you don't have to go that far with so it. So you don't like flipping bottle flare thing? I, I do to some degree if, uh-huh. if, if it's a destination thing. But if I'm just sitting at a normal restaurant and they're starting to flip bottles, I don't really get much into that. A good bartender knows how to get people talking with each other so that they want to come back again and again and again for the same atmosphere. And when you can get your regulars to know each other, then you can get the same crowd. It's not just I get this guy come sees me every Wednesday. It's I get the same crowd to come see me every Wednesday. And that's when it's a business and it's not just a bartender anymore. And if you're, if you're good at what you do, you understand that the bar is your business now. The owner hired you and you work for this guy, but at the same time, it's your own small little business now. And if you treat it that way then, and you network that way, then you'll make a lot of money. So there's a couple options here at the Raleigh Bartending School. You offer a 12-hour and a 40-hour class. I'm just wondering, what are some of the major differences in instruction um, between the two, rather than just the, the obvious the quantity of the time? I'm guessing quality is a part of that. Uh, more directly, if you think about the quality of it, that's just step one. Um, obviously, you get more out of it when you do a 40-hour versus 12, because you're talking about four days versus 10 days Mm -hmm. Uh, that in itself is a big deal because you don't you can't learn anything four days in my opinion really not for commercial use uh the other thing is that it's actually not even valid in this state unless it's done with 40 hours for commercial use so certification itself for commercial use needs to be 40 hours not 12 12 hours are meant for home use and so we actually do have a 12-hour course but we tell people it's meant for home use if you're anywhere in the country and they want to come out here hey We'll take them to. Hey, that's yeah, awesome. I got people awesome. that come from all over New York, California, Florida. Literally, we'll sit in a hotel and take class here because we we were we were Maxim Magazine before. Uh, we've been, I mean, we're nationally known for this. So, so what's the difference between a certified and bartender? a non-certified? Yeah. What? So how does that work when? It just it just work? means that you've had formal training versus not because uh-huh. what gets lost in translation, I guess, as they say are the legal side, the legal aspects of the industry. Mm-hmm. So when you've got a bartender who's training you how to make drinks or a bar owner who's training you how to make drinks, a lot of times the legal stuff gets lost 
and it's never even discussed. And there are quite a bit of things that can get you in trouble that you would never know. And so there, there is that. And then you've got when it comes, especially to like private parties and stuff like that. There are a lot of venues out there for wedding receptions and all that that actually require a certified bartender to be on premise for liability reasons. So what's in the future for uh, the Raleigh Bartending School? You guys think you'll ever expand your instruction to maybe something like um, bar management training? Well, we had thought about, uh, yeah, uh, taking on more some management courses, stuff like that, uh, because mm-hmm. we've all been there. And so we've, we've got the background to be able to do that. Uh, we've talked about starting some wine classes because uh, I used to have a sommelier who was uh, an employee of mine for a few years. And so, yeah, we've, we've discussed doing some things like that. It's just that for the most part, most people are looking for, I don't want to say the basics because we go further than just the basics, but that's kind of what they're looking for is a kind of a step into the industry more so than the progression afterwards. Okay. Uh, that's all. As I guess if you want to get into the business side of it, it's, it's probably more lucrative on the, on the front end thing with the foundation because uh, there are more people that are clamoring to know the basics and how to just get into the industry. Right. So that's kind of where the money is really at versus beyond that. And, and the way we look at it anyway, when you're talking about 40 hours, the idea is, uh, th- that's why I don't want to use the word basic too much, because we, we look at you guys as being a certified professional. So even though you're learning basics, you're learning more than just basics too. So right. it, it is, to me, it's a little bit further than just the elementary side of things because I want you to be able to go out there and work anywhere, in any setting, uh, even private stuff, whatever, as a certified professional and worth you know the money that they pay you to, to do that. So what about these things, these intense mixology culinary cocktails that look more like science experiments? Well, if you think about it, when you start introducing food uh-huh. into the mix that's where the culinary side comes into it so like egg whites oranges but oranges and lemons and limes and those sorts of things i thought were always part of well if it's meant as a garnish that's one thing but when you start incorporating it into like layering it into the drink somehow okay that's a different thing when you burn a piece of fruit to basically refine the sugars within it and then throw that in the drink somehow as a as a drink slash desserty meal thing, I guess. <laughs> That's when you're talking about these culinary cocktails. And yeah, if you look at, well, some of these TV shows now, like uh, not Bar Rescue, but there are a couple, a couple of these other ones where they go in, they, they teach some drinks for a new menu, mm-hmm. to like to give them a new start. They'll introduce some of these culinary cocktail type things. And that is, it's becoming a, a new kind of a fad. I can see it in places like California or maybe in some touristy spots, but we actually had a, a business that came in town here probably about two or three years ago, maybe even a little bit longer ago than that. And they wanted to do that. It was a dessert bar slash culinary cocktail place. Mm. And that was what they were trying to bring to the East coast and they're gone. It's just it, when it comes to drinks, I think people want something that tastes good, but it's refreshing at the same time. Don't forget people drink for a purpose you know, it's to get a little bit of a buzz and loosen up, right? So, you know, getting food and other things in the way of all that, it's not really what they're looking for mostly. Okay. So it's just, it never really caught on around here. They mm. tried and it just, it just didn't really do much. Now the layering of flavors and all that kind of stuff, 
that's all part of mixology. You don't have to get into the culinary cocktail side of it to be able to do that. And I think people do like that side of it. Right. You know, cause there, there are ways you can make drinks where halfway through the drink, it, it starts to taste different and that's kind of cool. That is kind of cool. You know, and that, that people do like that. Interestingly, we actually have a lot of that. Uh, a lot of people that will do this just so they can know how to make drinks at home mm-hmm. and host their own parties and stuff like that. Or, they want to do some maybe private events every once in a while at the most. Uh, so that's actually kind of a common situation we get. So I would suggest that's why we actually offer the 12-hour course because uh, then what we would do is focus more on stuff you would make at home, like martinis, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things like that, and highball drinks, with the, the, the really fast, easy stuff uh, that you would see most often at just house parties. Uh, but people who actually do the even the 40-hour course and don't want to do anything with in the industry learn quite a bit just because they could still do whatever they want to at home. Because, again, we go into not just drink recipes, but like the different liqueurs and flavors and all that kind of good stuff, too, so that when they're at home, they can create their own stuff and they can supply their own bar at the house and, you know, go from there. So it would benefit anybody, quite honestly, even if you don't want to do any anything for work but even if you just want to go to the basic of basics then the 12-hour course you know would be okay for you <laughs> by the way if you're a, if you're a whiskey drinker and i am too bourbons in particular for me uh an old-fashioned that's the way to go manhattan oh, manhattan's okay but an old-fashioned like they do on mad men you do a really good old-fashioned oh, you're uh, you're you're in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's an awesome drink. And you guys teach that too then, huh? No, actually, that's not something we teach. Oh, uh, no, why? Because then that's when you get into the smashing of the fruit and stuff like that. Okay. But, uh, I, I can teach you a good old-fashioned. And you guys out there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> ask, ask for it by name. You got and, it. And then Anthony can hook you up. <laughs> that's a drink you don't want to forget. Now I need to, now I need, oh, I must know that. <laughs> I must know that. Here's something else, because I'm curious. I'd always heard that you should never shake a martini. That it should always be stirred. And I think it, it became popular, or at least the research that I found, it became popular uh, because of James Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, he would always <laughs> ask for his martini shaken and not stirred. And the idea behind it was, is here's this guy who's been placed in these very social elite settings but he's not really that kind of guy. He's kind of a thug, kind of uncouth, you know, tough guy spy. And he would drink his martinis shaken, gin martini shaken, because it would, it bruises the gin and it creates this different type of flavor. And all the social elite, they would never do that because it, in, in a lot of regards, it, it ruins the martini. Mm-hmm. But he did this, I guess, in order to show that He's kind of a tough guy, if that makes any sense. <laughs> That's what I found online. It could maybe I'm lying. Maybe it's well, crazy. you know. I mean, I've read these books, by the way. I've, I'm okay. a big James Bond fan, <laughs> uh, and I never got the sense that he was trying to rock the boat, let's say, or you know, show himself to be different from anyone else. Okay. I think it's it's more about the fact that he's got a more refined taste. He knows what he likes. Because there are more than there are a couple of drinks he likes, like a Vespa, which is actually half gin and half vodka, but made just like a martini with a lemon twist. So there are mm. there are certain drinks that he throughout the whole entire series that he likes. The thing about the shaking of the martini uh, versus stirring it is that 
when the gin, and only gin does this, uh, it's because of what it's made from, which is juniper berries. When you shake it and it comes in contact directly with the metal tin itself, it, there's just a chemical reaction. So when you shake it up, it does something to it, um, and it causes it to get kind of cloudy, and then it takes on a little bit of the metal flavoring from the tin itself. And that is what most people aren't really a big fan of. So it doesn't really taste like the gin, the original gin. Because normally if you want a martini, you're just going to have a little vermouth in it. And then the gin, you want it very, very cold. But it's still going to taste like gin. Whereas when you shake it up, it doesn't quite taste like that anymore. It's got that little bit of a zing to it. Hmm. And personally, uh, I'm not a big fan of it myself. <laughs> so if you're going to shake it up, a lot of these hotels in higher end places, they'll actually have glass lined metal tins. So that, or the insulated ones, which are very expensive. So that way they can still shake it to get it as cold as possible, but it's never coming in contact with the tin from the, the shaker itself. It's all it's still the glass on the inside. Wow. No kidding. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. I didn't know that about any of the things you just talked about. <laughs> Yeah. We were just taking to school on James Bond, gin, <laughs> juniper berries, glass line tins. That's pretty cool. I had no idea. Yeah. I'm a James Bond fan. I can't, I admit it. I love it. Well, he's cool, man. Yeah, I, he is cool. Who's your favorite James Bond then? Uh, well, the series, the, the newest guy, I really like a lot. Probably. That, Other yeah. than Sean Connery, who I really loved. Uh, yeah, Daniel Craig is, he kills it. He's yeah, awesome. he is pretty awesome. Yeah. He is awesome. I, I guess I'm with you then, because this, this new one is pretty awesome. I've seen all the movies. I have not read the books, though. The books are better. Are they? Yeah. That's, like, that's like everything. I think the books are well, really it's just better. Because to make a, an old-fashioned, or come, come to the Raleigh, Raleigh Bartending School, have Anthony show you, <laughs> and then two, get the James Bond books and read them. There you go. <laughs> that's that's my, your homework. That's my homework. Rock on. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm going to check that out. And you talk about the elites. I, I used to work at a five-star place. Uh -huh. The top of, uh, it was a country club on top of a, a BB&T building. And those guys that would come in there, they didn't even bring money in with them. They paid basically a yearly fee just to be able to walk in the door, get whatever they want. They had libraries and things like that. And then the bill would be mailed to them. That's it. So... <laughs> in a place like that, that's where I learned to make a martini. And you talk about some picky, picky people. But after I left there and went and worked at just a regular restaurant, uh, I made a Manhattan for a guy once. And he had a couple of bucks out in his hand. And uh, when he watched me make the Manhattan, which was to stir and strain it instead of to shake and strain it, he actually put his money back in his pocket and pulled out a bigger tip and said, finally, someone who knows how to make it right. And he gave me more money just because I did it that way. Well, uh, this goes really back do. into the earlier part of the conversation, what, what makes a good bartender. The reason why I'm a connoisseur, I guess, is not because of my intelligence. It's strictly from my experiences with people and watching how they react, making changes when they don't like certain things, uh, and remembering it when they do like certain things. And then and really paying attention rather than just making drinks. And if they like it or not, that's how I make it. Forget about it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how a lot of bartenders are. That's how I make it. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. They might make it differently. That's not me. Right. You know, I tweak it. And, I've, and over the years, that's what I've learned to do. And so and I've learned what all the different flavors are and how they can go well together. Uh, but it's not it's certainly not 
because I've done anything as far as my own palate goes, because I don't drink these things. <laughs> you know, I, no one complains about my stuff. But honestly, of all the things that I make, I've maybe had 10 of them myself. Cause I'm a beer guy. I'm beer and whiskey. That's all I care about. Yeah, all yeah. these drinks, I don't. I don't drink any of this stuff. And that's yeah. why I said early, you have to care about people. If exactly. you don't care about people, then none of this will come around. So, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's just getting started? For someone who just wants to get into it, I would definitely say just get a book first. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe make a few drinks at home and follow recipes. If you're liking how that feels. And if you have some friends over and you're making some drinks and they like your drinks (laughs) uh, and you're good enough at following some recipes at an entry level like that, then I do recommend just going ahead and going to a school. Because the thing is, is when you come to the school here, everybody in the class is in the same boat you are. They're all intimidated. It's new to everybody here. I mean, I do get some bartenders that come in here just to get certified, but more often than not, 95% of the time, it's people who just want to get into it, but they've never touched it before. It's, it's more relaxing. There's no pressure. You don't have a whole crowd of people waiting for you to get to them. You don't have bar managers breathing down your neck. None of that. And you, we don't handle you know, cash registers and stuff like that either, so you don't even have to, have to deal with the, the money side mm-hmm. of things. So it's a very comfortable, relaxing setting. You make friends while you're here. You go at your own pace. Uh, so that's what I would certainly recommend. You mentioned get a good book. Do you have any off the top of your head that you might recommend? No, but I will say that the Mr. Boston's bartending guide that everybody wants to get is very, very old school. So I would not go with that. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody goes there. I was not expecting that. I thought you were going to say go for that. (laughs) No. Do not go for the Mr. Boston. They use old school terms and everything. It just doesn't fit today's time so it's just not really sometimes knowing what not to do is just as important as what to get so man you should write a book (laughs) (laughs) i am are you really yeah i'm writing a couple books but one of them in particular in this industry it's 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 about different toasts and stories from other people and things like that and it's yeah All right, guys, that's the sound of Last Call. I hope you enjoyed it. As we eagerly await Anthony's book release, I would like to send a special thank you to our guest, Bill Sullivan, our hobby mixologist, and Anthony D'Agnostino, the director of the Raleigh Bartending School in Raleigh, North Carolina. Check out the Raleigh Bartending School online at www.cocktailmixer.com. That's cocktailmixer.com. Also, go to doublepodcast.com to check out our show notes, view photos from my interviews, find more information on all my guests and links to each of their websites. I'm also on Facebook. Check out Make It A Double Podcast on Facebook. Give it a like. It's the best way to get current info on shows and guests. If you have any comments or show ideas, please reach out. I'm always happy to hear from our listeners. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening. And until next time, cheers. So Jamie, does your oh, this is the music encourage we you to leave Mike now and find a real guy with a real job? <laughs> with, a, with a real plan and real goals? You don't think this music sounds cool? Let me raise it. All right, let's get out of that. Let's actually do...
Let's get to what we're the here to do so we, can, so we can get eat on. Eat popcorn and watch a movie. We can eat popcorn and watch movies as soon as we're done here. 